Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to Franchising and You, a production of Franchise Foundry. My name is Paul Segretto. I'm your host every Saturday morning as we share information and perspective to help individuals understand all aspects of exploring, selecting, and starting a franchise business. I'd like to thank Sherry Sanchez from Retail Solutions for joining us last week on Franchising and You. We had a fantastic discussion about choosing a market, exploring a market for your, for your business or your brand. It was interesting as we dove into the various criteria necessary to truly understand a market and its potential. If you missed last week's show, it's available along with all past shows at www.blogtalkradio.com slash franchising and you. Recently named one of the top 10 franchise funding providers by Entrepreneur Magazine, FranFund, the sponsor of Franchising and You, craftfully, insightfully creates funding strategies that help solidify the dreams of franchise ownership while positioning franchisees for long-term success. With its own in-house lending team, FranFund is able to accelerate the funding process so clients can move forward even faster. Learn more at FranFund.com. You know, as the holiday season is only a couple of months away, which of course is hard to believe, we'll soon see family and friends getting together to celebrate the season. But a lot more happens behind, beyond the, the, the typical celebrating, eating, drinking, and just visiting. Uh, actually, ideas are thrown around about starting a business, and before you know it, the basis of partnerships are formed. Exclamations of, let's do this. I have X amount of dollars. How about you? Friends and friends family and family, spouses, even grandfather and grandchild partnerships are becoming more the norm rather than the exception. And this week on Franchising and You, we're going to dive into partnerships, and who better to discuss that with than Tom Spady, a franchise attorney and partner at Spady Oyana. Tom, welcome back. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. Really appreciate the, uh, the, the opportunity to, to, to chat about this, uh, a, a topic that I uh, – I have been involved with it at many different levels, as we were talking before. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, what I'm not sure of is actually where to, uh, you know, where to start uh, on this. Um, maybe, uh, maybe the best thing is a formal definition. A, a business partnership is a specific kind of legal relationship formed by the agreement between two or more individuals to carry on a business as co-owners, a partnership is a business with multiple owners, each of whom has invested in the business. But from a legal well, standpoint, taking this, yeah, go right ahead, Tom. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it's a good point, and I and I think when people bandy around the word partnership, you know, the the most of the time they don't mean the proper world word partnership with a capital P. They mean the 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 small p partnership, and that takes the form of many different forms. From a legal standpoint, it typically is going to be an LLC or maybe a corporation with people owning different shares. And under the law, you're not really a partner, but you consider yourselves a partner. In fact, I would even say um, my business, my partner, Josh Liana, and I, we're partners, um, but we're an LLC as our actual legal entity formation for the law firm, and we're the two equity partners. Um, so we own the firm, consider ourselves partner. But actually, under the law, we're both considered members of the LLC. 
and I'm splitting hairs, and hopefully I didn't lose everybody with their eyes bleeding. I promise this won't be a uh, a discussion of the nuances <laughs> of uh, of the of the legal entities. Um, what you really have to think about when you think about partnerships, and you get you know good legal counsel, your your attorney who's going to draft the agreements, is keep it simple in terms of that's a great example. You're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and. You know, your grandfather or your father or your brother or your uncle, and you have a handshake and you say, hey, here's how we're going to whack it up. And the most important thing, the most important thing, if you're going into any sort of business venture, is understand what everybody has agreed to, what everybody's roles and responsibilities are. The biggest strife that happens down the road typically comes from ambiguity in the formation. People have this assumption of, oh, well, wait, I thought I was going to get paid X, or I thought I was going to do this, or he knew I didn't, wasn't going to quit my job, and, but I thought you were really the good marketing social media person. I don't understand why I need to do that. So really spell out in as much detail as possible before you ever even talk to a lawyer, what is everybody supposed to do? What are the expectations of how people are going to be paid back? What if things go as planned? What if things go horribly wrong? What if things go terrifically well? Those are the kind of things that you really need to spell out when you're thinking about partnerships because there's, in fact, strangers can probably get away with a handshake easier than family members. And that may sound counterintuitive, but it's more important that to preserve those personal relationships that you really spell everything out in great detail um, so everybody knows the boundaries. So, Tom, from, from a legal standpoint, and maybe this is just from a common sense standpoint, too, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about going into business, trying to decide which way I want to go, what type of business, and I start to think of um, maybe I should be doing this as a partnership. What are some of the things that I, as an individual, should be considering before actually taking that step towards a partnership? Well, you got to you. You should really be thinking about you know. Start with the end in mind. You know, I've 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 talked about that on the show before. That's my big thing. I think that's the thing that people should always think about when they're going into business, alone or in a partnership. What is your goal? Why are you doing this? Is it cash flow? Is it for lifestyle? Is it to build equity, legacy to turn over to your children? What is your real goal? And that goal can shift over time. But let's think about what our real goal is and then why you need partners. Because there's – so I, I told you my favorite quote um, from a serial entrepreneur of mine, a client of mine. He's been a client for years, and um, he always does it alone. And, and his quote is, partners are for dancing, not for business. So I always thought that was a great quote. And because, yeah, boy, you know, <laughs> there, there's a lot of risk when it comes to uh, partnerships in terms of the personal relationships – and I think his main point is someone needs to be in charge. You know, use that analogy of dancing to really tease it out. So I think when you're thinking about a partnership, I think 50-50 partners are very risky, and they're very rare that they work out right down the middle. And the reason is no one's in charge, so you get that kind of, well, wait, he's going to do that. And if you know someone socially or family, your work ethics may not be in alignment your experience may not be in alignment. Your finances may not be in alignment. So there's just a whole host of things that you need to consider. And backing that up, 
to directly answer your question, what you should be thinking about is what are your goals and why do you need other people involved? Now, I don't agree with my client. I think partnerships can be one of the best ways to get in business because you can lessen the risk. You can go on this journey of entrepreneurship with people. I mean, I'm a partner with Josh, and, you know, as you know, Josh, he was – we were best friends in high school. We played football together. We work perfectly well together. I mean, we have personalities that are, you know, very similar at a core level but very different at uh, in a public level. I'm more of the person who's out there. He's sort of the, the blocker and gets a lot of the work done and runs sort of the operation to allow me. So we – We've, our personalities are a match, and that's real, real, real important um, to getting it right in terms of a partnership. So you've got to think of why. Why do you need or want to be in a partnership and then let things flow from there? Sure. You know, I was reading uh, online a host of different things in preparation for today's show, and a, a CPA, an attorney, uh, the right to call him, wrote, you'd be astounded at the number of clients I meet who literally know nothing about their partner's background, their approach to business, and their vision for partnership. They rush into the relationship so quickly that they don't even gather the fundamental knowledge about their partner. That's, that's, That's pretty interesting. Franchising in You is also brought to you by the National Boutique Law Firm, Spadio Liana, representing both franchisees and franchise or the fine attorneys at Spadio Liana help walk franchisees through every step of their journey into business ownership, while also helping franchisors navigate the myriad of federal and state regulations, keeping them on track to grow and support their franchisees. Learn more about Tom Spady and his legal team at www.spadialaw.com. You know, Tom, we have a, a question coming in from one of our listeners who asked, he said, I hear you, Tom, about family. I'm considering a partnership with a family member right now. I understand that starting a business is not without risk, but I want to be sure our relationship isn't jeopardized should the business fail. What steps should we take to help towards that goal? Well, it's a great question, and I think it's um, and I think it also tails into your comment right before the the break that said. You know, do you know, just because they're a family member, do you know their work ethic, their background, all of that? You know them socially. So two things is make sure you share the due diligence and the research and the planning going into the business because then it's not too late to say, I'm not sure this is going to work out. If you're buying a franchise, you should be calling all the franchisees in item 20, split up the list. You know, you call 10, I call 10, and let's compare notes. Let's do some real work before we put some real money on the line early, um, dividing up, see how you work together, see your team approach. And then the most important thing is get it on paper. Have a written operating agreement. Um, have a written, you know, my, our preference is typically an LLC because I think it gives you more flexibility. And when you have partners, you want to bring in a you know, other partners or junior people or get some equity to your managers. And LLC is just an easier vehicle to do that. So the the governing document of an LLC is going to be an operating agreement. And a lot of family members, you know, they, they what is it, point, you know, point, shoot, aim. And, and what happens is they, <laughs> they get the money. Let's both throw in 100 grand. Let's open up a bank account. Let's go to LegalZoom and, you know, no, no slight against that. You create an LLC. You don't create an operating agreement. You get a tax ID number in many states. 
There's not even a requirement to have an operating agreement. So you default to the statutes, which vary widely. So you basically have created an agreement that you don't even know what your rights are in terms of your membership rights. So you get into it, you open a bank account, and you don't actually form any governing documents. So you essentially have a handshake deal with a lot of money on the line, a lot of future, and that is just trouble. When trouble happens, emotions are high. They're multiplied when it's a family situation because now you're thinking, you know, I'm really mad at, at Joe or, you know, Mary's not pulling her weight, and, boy, I have to see her at Thanksgiving, and I really want to talk about this, and she won't call me back, and she got promoted, and, well, you don't even have a, a playbook, a governing document, a plan to know whether you're on target or not. And the flip side, if you take the time to document all this stuff, sit with an attorney. You know, it's funny. As lawyers, partnerships are tricky, even for us. And here's what I mean. When you're talking about a small business, right, a business that's going to generate you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, two million dollars, there's not the funds to pay the professionals to do it like a big private equity firm where everybody has their own lawyer. So realistically, it's even an ethical dilemma for us. Here's what I mean. Paul, you come to me and we've had a relationship and you say, I want to partner with Joe. Well, who do I represent as a lawyer? So your lawyer has to be real clear to say, hey, I don't represent either of you individually. I represent the company itself. So um, I'm going to draft these agreements. You tell me what the business terms are. I don't know if Mary should own X percent or what the salary should be. That's on you guys. We'll document it. And then you should, although you probably won't, go show it to your own professional and lawyer. And that's a tricky thing. I just had a partnership fight with a client in a similar situation. I wrote the operating agreement, and now they're arguing just because of expectations and one person didn't said this and he said this, and they just got mad at each other, quite frankly. And now mm -hmm. I can't represent either of them because we represent right. the company. <laughs> and we have to say, look, I'm sorry, guys. And, and then you have this confidentiality issue, right, is the one person calls me and said, hey, stop right there. Anything you tell me, I'm the company representative. So people don't – I'm probably too far in the weeds here, but from a legal standpoint, it illustrates the point that when you think about a partnership, think about the actual company as its own living, breathing organism that's going to have revenue and profits and shares, and you're a part of that. So um, – so I think that's a better way to illustrate it so people start thinking, oh, I have a responsibility to this new company we've brought into the world, and what are my responsibilities to that company financially, time-wise, and all of that, my fiduciary rules. And then everything starts to flow from that when you think about it in that context. It's not just two individuals. It's two individuals who have created this you know, child, so to speak, as a company, and that business lives and breathes by itself. It's why we say business divorce. It is, you know, marriage and divorce is very analogous to what's happening in the partnership world. Absolutely. And if you live in a community property state, <laughs> now all of a sudden the spouses <laughs> are thrown into the equation. We appreciate all the questions to franchising and you. Just drop me a note at paul at franchisefoundry.com before or during the show. We'll do all we can to answer your questions on the show. If we don't have time, we'll still respond to you. Tom, that was that was quite a question, one that I know we can do a future show about, like 
doing business with family? Should I do business with family? Or even am I crazy to want to do business with family? I mean, that's a, right. that's a whole different thing. You add in spouses and everything else, and it sure makes Thanksgiving a little bit uh, tenuous at best. With respect to partnerships, Tom, we, you, you talk a lot about the end in sight. You know, look at the, look at the end first. I'm along the same lines. I know when I talk with partners um, or potential partners, I always throw out on the table, what's going to happen if, if you have to put more business into the, uh, more money into the business, who does it? Is it done as a loan to the business? Does it dilute the other person's shares? How is that done? Uh, and, and, and of course, a lot of things, whether they become voluntary or involuntary. So to kind of offset or maybe to protect against some of that with respect to a partnership, what should be done at the first sign that a business might be starting to fail? Well, it's a good question. I mean, first, you know, if you, if you haven't spelled it out in the operating agreement, which happens, right? If you didn't, if you didn't, if you have an operating agreement and you've talked about this, then you should know what those trigger points and mechanisms are. And it becomes a much easier and less stressful, it's still a stressful situation because the business is struggling, but at least you've already talked about it and you've already sort of pre-agreed to it, even if you're not happy about it. Let's say you haven't done that. Let's say you've just done a partnership and you're listening to the show and you jumped online because you think, oh, my God, I'm having problems here. I think it's a matter of communication um, and being realistic and being realistic about the business. I think one stress that people don't realize is that a small business that is having trouble is really not worth any money. And that's a hard conversation that I've had many times with many small businesses is that a business valuation is purely based on the cash flow of that business. And it has nothing to do with how much money people have invested to get that business started. And that's a very, very bitter pill to swallow. So if you're the financial partner and you've put in a quarter of a million dollars, and the operating partner is in charge of running that business, and you know you have this sort of unequal in some level but equal on another level, and the business isn't making any money, and, and you see this. And now the operating partner says, hey, I'm not putting food on my table because I'm not able to take out the salary that we sort of agreed to. And now you don't have an operating agreement. And they say, well, you can't take your fifty grand a year because I haven't been paid back yet. And now the operating partner says, I'm going to have to go get a job. This is, a, this is real trouble. You know, I think you need to sit down with a professional. And I think you have to be realistic about whether that company is ever going to turn the corner. Um, if it's not, it's better to take bitter medicine quickly than to let the thing drag out. And that, I think, from my experience, and, and, and look, I, I've been a small business person. If you've listened to these shows, you've heard my background. I had a business that struggled and didn't do well. And my biggest education, um, learning from that, was I waited too long. And I think 95% of the people, when they have signs of trouble, they just wait too long. And it's really an ego thing, and, and I would blame that on myself. I just felt I can turn it around because I have that entrepreneurial spirit like many of my clients and you think, I'm going to turn the corner. You have to take a real hard assessment of saying, look, if this thing, maybe it will turn, but at what expense, at what time, what are your opportunity costs of things you also could be doing? I think you need to sit down with your partner 
and be realistic and get a professional and say, let's talk about this thing. How do we unwind this business? There's going to be some pain here. Um, but the pain just gets worse and worse and worse. If the business is hemorrhaging cash, where does that cash come from? Um, who's going to put that money in? Have that conversation way before you're two months behind on your rent. Have it as you see that on the horizon so you can start to unwind some of these things um, and maybe have a fire sale and just cut your losses. Better to cut your losses early than to let the thing bleed out because that just causes a lot of stress and, um, you know, not to end on a negative, but that, that's sort of your question. So my, my direct answer is you see signs of trouble, have, take a realistic ass, uh, assessment of whether it's a blip and a storm you can weather or whether it is a climate change that is going to ultimately destroy the business. If that's the case, get out early. You know, really, what, what I'm hearing, too, it's always, you know, going back to a, a, a professional, a, 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 even if it's just for, you know, some type of um, mediation in between, you know, informally just between the two parties, because a lot of times they might be on totally polar opposites uh, in the way of thinking. And I can right. think of many different reasons that would be the case, but one that is often not um expected or anticipated is when the business is doing great and all of a sudden one partner comes in and says, I don't want to do this anymore. And then the other partner doesn't have the financial wherewithal to buy out the other partner. And then all of a sudden they start shooting arrows at each other. What do you recommend in that situation? You know, it's a, it's, that's a great, I, I, um, in the beginning I said, usually the strife, and the stress comes when you don't hit expectations and you either wildly underperform or you wildly overperform and you kind of nailed it, right? So first off, if you did it right and you got the right professional and you have an LLC agreement and you have a buy-sell agreement, everybody should know the rules. And we backstop those things in our buy-sell agreements with, okay, we're going to get the valuation. Um, ideally, the valuation is pegged to some objective number that you know Maybe it's revenue, and that's not a valuation to a third party. That's an internal valuation. Okay, we're going to be, you know, 80 percent of revenue. We both can agree. I don't know whether I'm going to be the buyer or the seller, so let's be fair. Let's reevaluate it every year. And so now we know because that's, you know, not only, before you even get to does the junior partner have the money to buy out the senior partner or vice versa, the departing partner. Maybe they're fifty-fifty. What's the value of the company? That is a huge fight. Typically, because small businesses are very difficult to value. There's no stock market. I mean, there are companies that do appraisals of small business, but it is not like real estate. It is a very illiquid market. So um, valuation fights are very common. So you want to have that valuation buttoned up in your operating agreement. Let's talk about what, how do we internally value this. And then – be mindful of the fact that, hey, we're not going to have that cash. So maybe it's a five-year payout if you're the departing partner, and I also layer in a high interest rate, right? Hey, I'll buy you out over five years, but maybe I have to pay you 10 or 11% interest with no prepayment. So I have a financial incentive. You don't want to be the bank, but you have to be the bank because I don't have the assets to go borrow that money. But let's not 
let's not allow you to create this artificial leverage on me, um, especially if there's the parting. There's probably some sort of animosity happening. Expectations weren't mm-hmm. met. Someone needs to leave. So I'd rather say, hey, we already talked about this. You want to leave? It's fine. We have a notice provision. You send me a letter. You send me an email, whatever. In 90 days, I buy you out. It's based on our, tra- uh, you know, 75% of our trailing 12 months revenue. There is no dispute over the dollar amount. You own 50%. I owe you half a million bucks. Here's the note. Five years. I'll pay you off. I'll pay you off quarterly. I'll pay you 10% interest. There you go. I'm, I know it sounds real simple and smooth, but you can't have that conversation when the person's leaving and then the person's spouse says, that's not enough money. Well, you know what? I signed this agreement four years ago when we started the business, and I agreed to it already. Okay, that should take the argument out. So that's one way to do it. Um, you know, you really need to plan for this stuff because it happens. I mean, it really, really happens. Um, and you're totally right that these kind of partnerships, um, people get, you know, people grow, people change, people don't want to do something differently. They need that capital back because they have another idea that they want to chase. Entrepreneurs are very flexible in that. And, of course, things happen. You have to take into consideration, God forbid, what happens if your partner dies or gets divorced or files for bankruptcy or just wants to retire. I mean, there are so many different things that change. The dynamics change. I mean, you might be partners with your brother-in-law, and now your sister and him are getting divorced. And you're not getting along from a family side. I mean, there's a there's a host of different things, and I know you can't cover every actual thing, but certainly, you know, broad broad strokes at the beginning certainly will help. Yeah, um, down you, the road. you want to create the boundaries. That's right. You want to create the framework, right. the boundaries, and you want to backstop some of this stuff. One of the things that we've done, and some franchisors have approached us, is we started doing a um, an assessment. It's never too late to fix this stuff also, by the way. So those of you listening who maybe have a business, some of the the larger franchisors, they've been offering to their franchisees who pass a certain threshold. Maybe it's a million dollars in revenue. At that point, it's really smart to go back, especially if there's partnerships, as many of these are, and clean everything up. Let's go do the buy-sell. You know, Josh and I did that. Shame on us, right? We didn't have a fully buttoned-up partnership agreement. So I, I can sit here and say... And we just went through, and we got disability insurance on each other. We got life insurance on each other. We started thinking about, hey, we have a real, you know, we're responsible for, you know, a dozen attorneys, and we have some, you know, obligations to our own family. God forbid, what if something did happen to one ourselves? And let's let's sit down now in a calm space and work this stuff out. So it's never too late to go back and look at these agreements and redo them, and now you have a sense of the business. And spend a couple thousand dollars on professionals to get the stuff just in an area where it kind of makes sense. You know, know, a lot of this. Yeah. Well, there's another, uh, you know, after the next question you asked, I wanted to go, there's another avenue that I think is important to think about that I've seen a lot of franchisees grow with is getting their manager in place who doesn't have a lot of capital and have them buy into the business over time. And that's a real way that people have exponentially grown to, you know, two, three, five, ten units um, by having 
some sort of system to bring in their best operators and give them an operating percentage. So it's not just equal partnerships, but it's these junior partnerships relationships that can be real lucrative to the business owner. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we see that on a big scale with uh, the folks over at at Chick-fil-A. You know, a lot of this, you know, a lot of this, you know, business partnership agreements, the franchise agreement, you know, there's a lot of similarities. Um, and, and a lot of time in a partnership, the partners aren't thinking about this, uh, an expulsion provision. Uh, it's a double-dudged sword. Um, the benefit is that you could put in writing when a partner could be forced out of the business uh, for maybe not pulling their weight. Uh, of course, uh, there's also the, the non-compete provision that if you and your partner decide to go the separate ways, you want to prevent your partner from opening across the street with the same type of business. I mean, there's a, there's so much to think about. So I know what I always advise and certainly not from a legal standpoint, just a common sense thing is spend a lot of time ahead of actually forming the partnership and talking about all those what ifs, because no matter how much you talk about it, I guarantee you, you're still missing it. But if you talk about it well in advance, And very thoroughly, when you do sit down with an attorney, you're going to be far better informed and understand what needs to be done and what's right for the two of you. Tom, would you recommend – One thing on that too, Paul. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, go go that, and then I want to ask you a different question. Well, I was going to also say that all that solid, great advice you just gave is also a great way to test whether or not you work well together with your partner. Can you have those conversations? Can you whack that up? Are both of you really paying attention to the detail? Are you on the same page if these eventualities happen? It's a lot easier to just cancel the relationship before it's inked than it is later on. So I applaud you to giving that advice. It's super important that you're not abdicating that to your professionals. We need to ask you the questions, but you need to have the answer. So um, great advice. Really great advice. Right. And and also to that point, um, if there are spouses in the equation, it would be good to have them at those early stage uh, meetings because, like you had said, it comes time to for one of the partners to be bought out and their spouse is saying that's not enough money. If they understand all those inner workings and what's been agreed to and they remember those conversations leading up to the forming of the partnership, you're going to have a much easier time on the back end should whatever the reason is to dissolve the partnership. Franchising You is also sponsored by Retail Solutions. Professionals at Retail Solutions help franchisees locate, negotiate for, and lease or purchase the retail space, building sites, or build to suits best suitable for their new business ventures. Retail Solutions represents national and regional retail and franchise clients wherever their business growth leads them. You can find Retail Solutions on the web at RetailSolutionsRE.com. You know, we, we, we said at the beginning, the uh, title for today's show was, you know, Business Partnerships, the Good, Bad, and Ugly. And, of course, we talked about a lot of the potential ugly. Um, I know there are some bad. It really shouldn't even be looked at as bad. I think it's more the option. Do I do it myself? Or do I do it with somebody else? I don't know if there's bad. I think that comes down to to, to uh, choice. And then, of course, the good might be the necessity 
of being involved with a partner because you might be looking at something that, quite frankly, you don't have the, the capital to do on your own. But I don't want to leave the show without talking about that third partner and that third partner being the one with a lot of the, of the capital going in. So you and I have a great idea together. We each have a hundred grand to throw in, but we really need five hundred. And Uncle Louie has three hundred thousand to give us, and he wants a share of the business, but he's not going to be involved in the day-to-day operation. What advice or pointers can you give towards that, knowing that we only have about ten minutes left in the show? <laughs> well, the your point earlier we could do a whole show on uncle louis capital but (laughs) the big advice of course is the same advice i'm a broken record get this stuff in writing have this conversation there is no such thing as a boilerplate Um, you pull out some operating agreement offline that you don't understand um, you're just going to cause unintended consequences and damage you have to be very careful and um, one consideration is you know going to uncle louis for 300 that probably is still okay, but if you go to Uncle Louie and Aunt Jane and, and, you know, my accountant and somebody else and I get, you know, four or five people, you have to be very careful that you don't step on you or trigger securities law. And that's something that I think people looking at partnerships forget and they are um, – they ignore it. And, and that is a very dangerous, very regulated world that a security is very broadly defined as a passive investor. So people start putting words in their operating agreement like, hey, Uncle Louie, you're just a passive investor. You're not involved. Give me money. Well, you know, you're starting to trigger some of the same rules if you think about it. That's what a franchisor is doing, right? Now, they're not following securities law because they're under franchise law. But there is regulation out there. So you just have to be real careful when you're getting capital from someone who is truly a passive investor, um, that you don't all of a sudden you become this person who's like, you know, Bertie Madoff offering securities. It's obviously not your intention, but if things go bad Mm -hmm. and Uncle Louie passes away and then Aunt Jane takes over the estate and says, hey, I don't – I want my money back. And they say, well, no, here's the agreement you signed. You're a passive investor. And some attorney, you know, triggers us. So all I'm saying is be real careful about that and make sure you get this stuff documented with an experienced attorney that understands where those landmines are buried. Now, the other advice to give on the good side of that with Uncle Louie is that's a great way to do it as long as you've spelled out what are the splits, how's this capital, if we hit our target, be super transparent. And one way to stay out of those securities worry is you want Uncle Louie to be loosely involved on the board as a board of advisors. You know, we're going to meet him we're going to meet him once a month, and we're going to talk about this business, and we're going to get his advice even though he's just a financial partner. That transparency and reporting and continuing to keep that person in the loop, giving them good news and bad news as it comes in, is going to really help foster that relationship. So, um, and I, it starts getting harder to manage. I have seen more trouble with three-person partnerships and above because now you have three personalities and it's, there's, it's, it's a multiplier effect of 
dissent and what could happen and issues like that. So, you know, you really oh, sure. don't want to do that on the back of a napkin. You really want to get professional advice on that because um, there's just too many things that could derail your business. And you spent all this effort and energy. Maybe it was Uncle Louie's money, but you spent four years of your life dedicated to this business. Uh, that's not good if it, if it comes apart because of things you didn't deal with in the front end. And, of course, we're not even taking into consideration which of the partners has the relationship with Uncle Louie. <laughs> right. Tom, we have, we have another question, and I think it's important to take it, even though we're getting close to the end of the show today. Could you please explain it. the difference between, or the term, I should say, could you please explain the term individually and severably? Sure. So individually and severally means it's, it's related to liability. So if you're severally liable for something, um, for instance, if Uncle Louie and the two partners all sign a personal guarantee on the lease and Uncle Louie only owns 30% of the business, if he is severally liable, that means all the partners are liable for all of the debt. And so the person, if I'm representing Uncle Louie, we want to be real careful about that because I'm the only one with deep pockets. So the creditor, the franchisor, the whatever, the landlord, will try to get the money from the individual with the deepest pockets and under that liability – they're severally liable for everything. So you're not liable just for your percentage. You're liable for the entire amount of the debt. Yeah, I think that was from an individual that, that might be getting ready to uh, to sign some paperwork, it sounds like. You know, Tom, thanks again for, for visiting us and franchising you. Do you have any last bits of advice about partnerships? You know, partnerships are like a lot of things in business, like franchising. There's no real right answer. It has to do with, you know, what are your goals and why are you doing it? And make sure you understand. And to that listener who said, you know, what's this word mean? Words matter and contracts matter and agreements matter. And just make sure you fully understand those operating agreements because um, you just want to know what your risks are. It's, you're taking a risk by going in the business. I think a risk that's worth taking um, it, it, you can help build wealth and get to your goals, but a risk that you don't know about is compounds the danger. So if you're going to take a risk, you know, know what it is and know what the boundaries are and get the stuff in writing and, um, and make sure you get really good, competent, professional advice. Yeah, I think that the last bit of advice I would give legal um, um, meaning aside is some type of, of advisory board. Bring in your accountant, bring in your attorney, bring in your banker, bring in some other people that you know in business. It's a good idea to bounce ideas off them. Um, this way, you're not just pointing fingers at each other and say, I disagree. No, I agree. You put it to business professionals, and they're going to give you some pretty good advice. And, um, and, and it's worthwhile because they're going to point out some things that you might not be seeing. And, um, and of course, there's, again, we could do a whole show on, you know, boards and, and stuff like that. But even in an informal setting, uh, it definitely will help a partnership survive. Thanks, 
Thanks again, Tom. Um, can't think of, of, of I mean, I'm, I'm, my mind is running at the different shows that we could do in the future uh, around partnerships, uh, especially with so many family members, multi-generations getting together in, uh, in a business. And, of course, you know, there's, there's probably no better relationship than a grandparent and a grandchild, and yet we're seeing now, you know, business relationships be formed across these multi-generations. And I know a lot of them are thinking, you know, we don't have to do this. I love my grandpa. I know I love my grandson. Yeah, you do, because things change, times change, events present themselves that you cannot expect. Thanks again, Tom. Appreciate you being here with us. Hey, great way to spend a Saturday. Thanks, Paul. Enjoy your weekend. Bye now. Thanks. If you haven't yet heard about or read an issue of Franchise Dictionary Magazine, I'd have to ask, what are you waiting for? I'm very impressed by what editor Jill Abramson has done with what is turning out to be one of the best publications in franchising today. Lots of valuable information shared by industry experts, awesome interviews of brand founders, and much more. Learn more at FranchiseDictionary.com. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for including Franchising in You as you explore the wonderful world of franchising and business ownership. Dream it, wish it, do it. We're excited to be part of your quest towards franchise and business success. Have a great day.